Well, good morning to you again. Uh, for those of you, how many of you were not here last week? Raise your hand if you were not here. Okay, so I'm total, a total stranger to you if you were not here last week. Um, but I came and we spoke, uh, we considered Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and we've been looking at the law and the gospel, the law and the gospel. And so I'd like for you, if you can, to follow in your pew Bibles uh, on page 1,118, 1118. So it's a big number, but we're going to stay on one page. So you'll be happy to know that. <laughs> but we, last week we looked at the law of God from Romans 3, starting at verse 9, and we finished at verse 20, and we, we kind of began to get into verse 21. But today we're going to look at 21 through 28, 21 through 28. The truth is still the truth, even if no one believes it. And last week we talked about that, that in America today and even in our own hearts, often there are few people that believe the truth, and yet it's still the truth, even if no one in the world believes it. The book of Romans tells us the truth, and it tells the truth to a world where very few people know the truth. And I'm amazed at my own life. I've been studying Romans for years, but I still feel like I'm just getting to begin to understand the message of Romans and, and the, the beauty of it and the importance of it. It is precious truth, and it's a summary of what the Christian message even is. What is it we're supposed to believe? Romans tells us. What is it we're supposed to pass on to the world? Romans tells us. The book of Romans tells us everything we need to know about, about God, about the law, and about the gospel of grace and forgiveness of sins, and about how to live the Christian life. How do we grow in living a godly life? Well, Romans tells us all these things. So it's a summary of the, the Bible's message. So last week, as I said, we, we discovered that we have no righteousness to give to God. We have no righteousness to give to Almighty God. In light of the perfection of the law of God, which we all are, are accountable to perform, we have nothing to give. The only proper response to that truth to the truth of the law, is verse 20. And let's turn there now. It says this, and Paul concludes, and again, this is Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God speaking to us. And he says, For by the works of the law, that is, by obeying the Ten Commandments, by loving God, by loving your neighbor, by these, these works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so the proper response to that is verse 19. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going backwards here. But verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. People have asked me, what does repentance mean? What does repentance mean? 
And I say, well, verse 19 is a great description of a repentant life. It's somebody whose mouth is silent, their hand is over their mouth, because they agree that God is God, the law is the law, and that they are guilty before the, the bar of God, before the standard of God. And so they, they stop, a repentant person stops trying to justify themselves, themselves, but rather they, they look to be justified by another. They look for righteousness outside of themselves. So is there any hope? If all of us are lawbreakers, if all of us are lawbreakers, then is there any hope? Is there any way out? Thanks be to God, the answer is yes. And it is found in what is called the heart of the gospel, which we will consider this morning, beginning in verse 21. So we've said there is no righteousness. No one is righteous on earth in and of themselves. That doesn't mean once you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you, you don't change. You do change. We do begin to love God. We do begin to obey. We do begin to fear God, all those things. But compared to the perfection of the law, we still fall short. And so we still have nothing to boast in, even as a Christian. We need to look for a righteousness outside of ourself. And verse 21 begins to tell us, what is this righteousness of God? How do we receive it? Verses 22 through 24. And then why is faith in Christ necessary? That's verses 25 and 26. And then why do we need to hear this? You know, there's all kinds of things. I'm a guest preacher. I could come here and preach about anything. So why did I choose this, this passage to speak on? In verses 27 and 28, tell us that. Okay, well, let's look at the righteousness of God, verse 21. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been made known. It's been declared Apart from law, that is, apart from anything within us, it's something that is freely given from outside of us. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That it so it's not a new idea. It's not something that, that Paul made up. He's drawing from the Old Testament teaching that declares this righteousness of God that will come. So what is the righteousness of God? I want to take you back 500 years. How many of you have heard of a man named Martin Luther? Raise your hand if you've heard of him. Martin Luther was convicted of his sin, and he began to realize, I fall short of the standards, the commands of God Almighty. And so he went to the church at his time, and he said, I, I am in trouble. What do I do? They said, ah, I see your problem. We're here to help you. What you need to do is just love God and just cooperate with God and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be able to present a righteousness to God that will justify you, that will get you to heaven. And the best way to do that, if you're really serious, the best way to do it is to become a monk. Okay? How many of you are interested in becoming a monk? I'm not. But Luther said, sign me up because I know I'm in trouble and I want to get to heaven. 
And so he worked and worked and worked because he heard from Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. Let me, let me just read it. Verse 17 of chapter 1 of Romans, it says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And so Luther realized the very heart of the good news is the, what's called the righteousness of God. But when Luther first read that and he first began to study that, you know what he thought that meant? He thought that meant that the righteousness of God is the standard of ethical conduct that Luther had to keep. And so he said, the righteousness of God. Okay, I know if I can work hard enough, cooperate enough, sacrifice enough, love God enough, love my neighbor enough, deny myself enough, etc., etc., etc. Go lay out in the snow, which is what he did. Go beat my back, which is what he did. If I do all of that, then somehow I can give to God the righteousness that he requires to be saved. Did it work? Not at all. In fact, Luther said, the harder I tried, this, these are the words he said. He said, I hated God. I hated God. And he dreaded and feared that phrase, the righteousness of God. It just made him terrified before Almighty God. Well, he came to study more and more, and he studied verses like verse 21, which is where we're at today, that this righteousness of God is something that comes apart from the law, apart from his works. It's freely given from outside of himself. It is the righteousness that Christ gave. Christ kept the law. Christ obeyed perfectly. Christ loved the Father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Christ loved his neighbor as himself. Christ did this for him. And through simple faith, Christ's righteousness is credited to Luther's account. And he came to realize that. And he says, when I came to realize that, the gates of paradise opened up. And I knew I was going to heaven by faith alone. You see, he discovered the righteousness of God is the heart of the gospel. It is the good news. And it will never change for you, believer. Never. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are loved by God. You are forgiven because of the righteousness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Who said that, by the way? That's, that's great. Whoever said it, praise God. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. He has done it all. Well, next, how do we receive this righteousness of God? How do we receive it? And here's where a lot of times American churches can get, get wrapped around the axle on this. They think, well, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus took the wrath of God, but I've got to live a certain way for that to be credited to my account. Well, that just undoes the whole good news. That just throws us back under the law, you see? 
back under trying to relate to God by your works. So it's not by works, but it's by, by something else. Look at verse 22 through 24. The righteousness of God through faith, that is through trust, through simple trust, reliance in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, every person in history, no matter how good, no matter how bad, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified, what does that word justify mean? It means to be declared righteous. Declared righteous. Not that you that God begins to work in you and enable you to do good works and then you justify yourself by your good works. No. It is a declaration from outside of us that is freely given to each and every one of us who believe in Jesus. That is what it means to be justified. It's to be declared righteous. Declared righteous. So let me ask you, if you, this morning, you, you have believed in Jesus, but before you came to church, I'm just throwing this out there, I don't know anything about any of you, and I trust all of you are beautiful this morning. But let's just say you got in an argument with your spouse, okay? Let's say you threw something at your spouse. That would be terrible, and don't do that. But if you did, does that change your justification? Yes or no? No. We are safe in Christ, loved by him no matter what. The justification is something that Jesus did, not based on our performance. We want to live a holy life, don't we? But we fall short. And that's why we need a righteousness that's outside of ourselves and it is received by faith alone, by faith alone, by faith alone. So what is the righteousness of God? It is Christ's righteousness credited to us. How do we receive that? Not everybody has that. But those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, they are clothed in the righteousness of God. And we are part of God's family we are forgiven by faith alone. Now, why is faith in Christ necessary? And this gets to the, the real nub. You know, if you turn the TV on and you listen to politicians or you listen to a morning talk show or something like that, there's all kinds of chit-chat about faith, isn't there? Faith. I, have, I believe. I have faith. And even faith in God, generic, sort of a generic view of God and we think, well, that's all that matters. It's just kind of a generic faith in a generic God. But such faith will not save you. And such faith does not justify you. It must be trust in Jesus Christ. Well, why? Why? Verse 25 and 26. Let me, let me read it and talk about it. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, 
by his blood. Now, let's stop there. The word propitiation. How many of you have, have heard of that word or understand what that word means? Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to call on you to, to define it. <laughs> but, you know, I have to be honest. Not many people in the world know that, have even heard that word. And it sounds like a very boring word, sounds like, to preach on. Again, if you're a guest preacher, you want people to like you, you don't say, let's talk about propitiation, you know. But yet, we must talk about it because this word is the gospel. It is the gospel. You take it away, you have lost Christianity because the heart of Christianity, the heart of the gospel is the atonement, the propitiation. Let's look at what that means whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is, an atoning sacrifice that is required. Remember, in the Old Testament, God said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, none. Blood must be shed for you and I to be forgiven. The world says, well, we just forgive. God just sort of winks. He knows we're not perfect, but he sees my motive. No, God says blood is required because God is a just God. He's just. He must, in his justice and wrath, he must punish sin. He must. He cannot just overlook it. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, Christ is our atonement. He is our the one who turns aside the wrath of God so that we could be forgiven. And so the cross is absolutely necessary. The blood of Christ, which we sang about so beautifully um, just a little bit ago, I'll cling to the old rugged cross. Those aren't just words that are pretty. It's our life. The cross is all we have. It is to be received by faith, that is, faith in Jesus Christ. We trust him. Faith in his blood. We trust the atonement that happened on a hill far away. And it happened on a Friday afternoon. And the scholars tell us that it was at about noon that Christ was hung on the cross. And three hours later, our Lord died. Once for all sin. One time. For all sin. And then on the third day, he rose again for our justification. And he's alive this morning. And he is interceding for you and for me this morning up in heaven. He's praying for us. And in some mystical way, he is here now listening to us. Which makes a preacher tremble. But it's true, and it's humbling. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Now that sounds like at first blush that God just kind of winks at sins and says, all right, you Old Testament believers, Christ hadn't died yet, so, you know, 
I'll, I'll give you a, what is it called, a mulligan in golf? Have you ever heard that term? You get a, you get a free pass, you get a free stroke, or whatever. And, uh, but not at all. You see, the Old Testament, their sins are put under the blood of Christ. So still, they're rolled up, they're rolled up year after year after year after year until that Friday afternoon, Christ died. All of their sins, the believer's sins, were paid for on the cross. And what God is saying here in verse 25, in his divine forbearance, that is, he was waiting until the cross would take the final punishment, um, the final wrath of God for the Old Testament saint. So Daniel, David, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, all the Old Testament saints needed the atonement. And by faith, they would offer sacrifices. But Hebrews tells us those sacrifices could never take away sins. But they were a reminder, and they pointed to the reality of the death of Christ. So, in theological terms, the Old Testament sacrificial system was a shadow or a type, but the death of Christ is the reality. Does that make sense? Let me put it this way. Lisa's my wife. I love her. Years ago, I was at seminary, and... I was away from her. She was up here in West Virginia. I was in North Carolina. And as I took seminary classes, I had a picture of Lisa sitting on a desk right next to me. Okay? That picture was a reminder, was a type of the reality which is sitting on that back pew. Now imagine if I said, you know, I like this picture so much. I think I'll just be happy with this. And I'm not going to go to the back home to her. You would think I was a coconut, right? <laughs> you would think there's something really, really wrong. You see, the picture was just a reminder of the reality. The Old Testament saints had the sacrificial system. That was just a reminder of the reality that was to come. And so they knew and they trusted in the person of Christ eventually. So why is faith in Christ necessary? Because he alone has died for our sins once and for all. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, God's justice cannot be compromised and so what you have in Romans 3 and what you have in the cross is the crashing in of the love of God and the justice of God where neither one is compromised. Justice was satisfied on the cross. Love is satisfied through the cross. And now we as the children of God stand in this unchanging grace forever and ever because Christ died for our sins. We, we need not fear the wrath of God anymore because Christ took the wrath of God. We need not fear the punishment of God that would condemn us to hell for Christ took that punishment for us. Why is faith in Christ necessary? Because he alone died and he alone satisfied 
the justice of God. And now Hebrews 8.12 says, listen to this. I will, this is God speaking, I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. Have you ever sinned in such a terrible way and the devil keeps bringing it up to you even though you've confessed it to God? Has that happened to you? Go back to the promise where God says, I will remember their sins no more. You are washed whiter than snow. Christ died once for all sin. Well, why do we need to hear this? Verses 27 and 28. It says, then what becomes of our boasting? (laughs) Think about it. How we as Christians boast. We think, well, I'm I'm not perfect, but I'm a whole lot better than so-and-so. Have you ever done that? I'm ashamed to tell you, I have done it, and I do do it. And it's a terrible thing to do. But God says here, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. See, we have nothing to glory in, friend. Because remember, we say we have no righteousness. We have no righteousness. We only have Jesus Christ. And so... The boasting is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? <laughs> In other words, did I, did I do enough good works so that I could boast? Or so that I, that I could satisfy the justice of God? No. But by the law of faith. You see, faith excludes all boasting. We cannot boast in our own lives in any way. We give all glory to God. Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That's what the whole Reformation was all about. Martin Luther came to rediscover the gospel, and many others were working at the same time. I should say God was working in many others, not just Luther, who were discovering, look, salvation is by grace, really by grace, through faith alone. And it turned Europe upside down. And, and, and the Catholic Church, with all of its great power, just collapsed because of this message of grace. I mean, it's really, you study it, it's amazing what happened. Amazing. But the core verse, if you want to know what the Reformation was all about, it's verse 28, which I just read, to show, I'm sorry, um, For we hold that one is justified by faith, declared righteous by faith, apart from the works of the law. So why do we need to hear this message of Romans 3? One is that we would not trust our own works. We would not trust our efforts to stand before a holy God. Second, that we would boast in Christ alone in his work on the cross that we would boast in Christ alone in his work on the cross. This is the only boasting that pleases God, where we give all glory to God. Well, conclusion, and I want to just uh, kind of try to wrap up um, what Romans 3 is all about by, by comparing what the world says to what God says, okay? Let me just do this very quickly. 
The world says there is no law of God, therefore there's no problem. I've got no problem. God says the law of God is unchanging and we are accountable to it. The world says, well, I may not be perfect, but I'm pretty righteous. Certainly I'm better than my neighbor. And I have at least good motives. You know, have you ever heard that? Somebody kills somebody. Well, he's a good person. He meant well. What do you mean he meant well? He just killed somebody. God says, though, none are righteous. No, not one. And Christ alone is our righteousness. The world says, well, I can climb my way to God in heaven by my good deeds. God says that, it is, he, that he is only known through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. The world looks at the cross and says, the cross means nothing to me. And really, it's kind of weak and foolish. I mean, you think about it, beloved. The Apostle Paul went to Corinth, which was a wall of power and great philosophies and all the great ideas. This is in the year AD 50. And he went, and what did he do? He proclaimed Jesus Christ and him crucified. I mean, that's the epitome of weakness to the world. But really, it's the power of God. It is the power of God. The world says the cross means nothing and is weak and foolish, but God says the cross is all you have. It alone is the wisdom of God. The world celebrates arrogance. Do you agree with that? The world celebrates arrogance in a self-confident attitude. God says... The cross alone is a person's only glory. It is our only boast. We have nothing apart from Jesus Christ. May God enable us to know the truth of the gospel as we've looked at it today and and last week. And may we have a firm foundation as a result for our life And may this firm foundation that we live on give us a a greater confidence and a greater witness before the world. My wife and I talk a lot about these things, and I've often thought the greatest need of the hour for the American church is to know the message of Romans, really. On the way here, we drove by many, many churches, and you all are from here, and you know all about it. You know the You know the history of the churches. I don't know them. (laughs) But I wonder, in how many of the churches that we drove by will this message be heard today? I don't know the answer. But I dare say, in the American church at large, this message is very, very foreign. And yet, it's the heart of all that we believe. Let us leave here at rest in the love of Christ His death atones for our sin and leaves us with nothing but pure joy and pure grace. And remember, God says, I will remember their sins no more. Let us pray.
Lord, I just confess to you my own weakness and my own inability to proclaim these things. But I'm asking you, by your Holy Spirit, to drive home these truths to our hearts. May each and every one of us be people who boast in Jesus alone, who are at rest in his finished work on the cross. Dearest Jesus, thank you that you've promised to never leave us or forsake us because you died once for all of our sin. Help us, Lord, to remember these things and to live a a beautiful life as a result, one that does grow in loving you and does grow in loving others, not because we have to, but because you have set our hearts free by grace. And Father, when we feel condemned or frustrated or hopeless, may we always go back to that great work that happened in history on a Friday afternoon where, Jesus, you died once for all of our sin. And may we find rest again for our conscience and, again, to live for your glory as a result. And so we thank you for Romans 3, and we are totally dependent on you, Holy Spirit, to teach us these things. And throughout the week and the days ahead, in our life ahead, may we rest in these glorious truths. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.